Yeah, today we're going to talk about uh, Advent, beholding greatness. And I know that um, I have my work cut out for me because great is a very overused adjective in our culture today, isn't it? It's like the word nice or special. It's just too lightweight. It doesn't carry the magnitude that it probably used to. And there's no Greek nuance with the word great. You're going to see it throughout these passages that Aaliyah read for us. It's just the word megas. It means mega. It means big, huge. Something really significant is taking place through the arrival of a significant and huge person. Um, And I want us to talk about that, but I know my work is cut out for me because we use the word, I saw a great movie. We had a great time. Just finished a great workout, great book, great haircut, great Dane. It's, it, you know, it's, it's an overused adjective. So I know my work is already cut out for me if you take the title to these sermons serious because the title is Beholding Greatness, Advent, Beholding Greatness. Some of you may be thinking, I dare you to wake me up, preacher. Well, I'll take your challenge. We're going to look at this passage and, and see how God will use this. And I want to say something else before we really get started today. A theologian that I love to read, we've been going through Mark's gospel, and he wrote a commentary, and a few passages that I was studying about Jesus. It just seemed like a, you know, it's it's easy to get so familiar with the miraculous. Jesus spent a whole day healing people, and by that time, he'd done so many miraculous things, it's almost as if, okay, so Jesus heals some more people and manifests his power, okay. Uh, And Sinclair Ferguson, he, he wrote this about that. He said, sometimes we read passages like this in the gospels. And we are too anxious to ask the question, how does this apply to me? What must I do? It is a good thing for us to pause to admire Jesus first. That was some of the best advice I've ever read from a commentary. Sometimes it is good for us to hit the pause button and forget the to-do list. You know, we get so obsessed with, give me principles, principles, principles. How can I go out and apply this right now? Well, we get that from the Bible. The Bible is ultimately relevant and practical for you and for me in 2019 in Central Florida today. Whatever gender, whatever ethnic class you're in, whatever socioeconomic uh, part you play, uh, it's, it's ultimately relevant. But so often we're too quick to try and squeeze a to-do list out of a passage, and we really miss what God has for us. Did you know that the Bible says that the power in Christianity is not with our laboring, it's by looking? 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, as you behold the glory of Christ, you will be, the word is transformed, you'll be changed, miraculously changed into that very same image. But did you get the subject of that verse? As you look, not as you sweat, not as you labor, not as you go grab this to-do list and get busy for Jesus. That comes later. Listen, that comes after you look. So often we get it backwards. We're going to go out and get busy for Jesus, but we have no power. We have no strength. And so a passage like this is really good and really helpful. It's good to hit the pause button and to admire Jesus. And I love, TJ, all the songs that you chose this morning. You guys know I'm, I'm probably a terrible pastor to set up a worship set for because sometimes I don't know exactly what I'm preaching until Thursday and the rehearsals are on Tuesday. So I love it when the songs that we sing, I I believe the Holy Spirit has arranged those songs perfectly with the message. It doesn't always work out, but man, this week it did because we were singing about the greatness of this little baby who would become a king. And I love that. I love Christmas because we all have to slow down. Come let us adore him. No to-do list. Just sit quietly in adoration and be astonished at what the arrival of this little baby meant for us, for you and for I. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pause 
to admire Jesus because that's what Advent, you know what the word Advent means? You're hearing it all over the place. It means this, the arrival of somebody noteworthy. The arrival of somebody noteworthy. Well, I want us today to consider what is so notable about Jesus. What's so noteworthy about this little baby? What's so great about Jesus? Maybe if I could change the title, it would be this, not beholding greatness, but this angel Gabriel, he told the mother Mary, he will be great. Okay, Jan, he'll be special, he'll be nice, he'll be significant. So what? What's so great about Jesus? That almost sounds heretical to say it that way, but that's the question I want to answer today. What's so great about Jesus? If Christmas, listen, is all about God with us, then I want to know more about this God that's coming to dwell with us. Because I've read all the things about the gods and the goddesses of Rome and Greece, and they're violent, and they're perverted, and they're selfish, and they're manipulative and controlling. You know, a lot like the leaders we have. <laughs> and I'm not, that's not a political statement. It's just human history is, is riddled with kings and queens and governors and mayors and people that abuse their power. They either abuse their power or they waste their power. They're passive or maybe passive aggressive. History is riddled with people like that. So when we hear the ultimate power, God, he's coming to dwell with us. We think, oh, great. Well, what's he going to be like? This is supposed to be good news, but is it really? I mean, it's enough that we have God up there looking down on us. Now he's going to come down here. How's that good news? So that's what we're going to talk about. And I, I can tell you a little bit about the kings and the queens uh, throughout history in the world. It, it's funny. I have a book called The 13 Most Evil Men and Women Who Have Ever Lived. Yeah, your pastor has books like that. I don't know why. I'm just curious about that stuff. And I, hey, that book, there's parts I, could, I wouldn't read out loud in that book. In fact, some of it I couldn't read. Because some, some of the leaders, especially the Roman emperors are so twisted and perverted and disgusting. Some of the things they did. Do you know why? Do you know why they did those things? Because they could. They had power. They had ultimate authority and nobody could ever say no to them. So you've heard the, the, the saying, power corrupts. And what's the rest of it? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So if we're talking about a coming king who has a throne and he has a kingdom, and he has a dominion, and it's going to be forever, we're thinking, oh, great. Whatever this king is like, we're stuck with him forever. And I know what kings and queens, women don't get off the hook either, queens too. You can study the history of martyrdom and Fox's Book of Martyrs. A lot of queens have a lot of blood on their hands. So men and women, doesn't matter. When you're given ultimate authority in a position of, of, of ruling, and you can do whatever you want, usually bad things happen. Usually. There's very few and rare exceptions to that. So there's this announcement that a king's coming. Well, great. What if he's a jerk? What if he's narcissistic and self-centered and cruel and abusive? I mean, they wouldn't know. Because think about the history of all the kings and judges in Israel. Even their best had clay feet and were flawed, profoundly flawed and sinful. So when a new leader comes into power, the people get paranoid and they want to know, what's he going to be like? So this passage already tells us that Jesus is going to be great. We want to know what our lives are going to be like under his leadership, under his kingship. So let's take a look at this king. It's funny, uh, Tim Keller wrote a book on apologetics, and he's always talking to unbelievers. And he's got a saying that I really have come to love. And I know you have to know what it means, so listen. He says, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I probably don't believe in that God either. You know what he means by that? 
So many people have rejected this idea of God that's simply that. It's an idea, and it's the wrong idea. They've been misinformed, or they've watched a leader or a pastor, or they know a Christian who's filled with hypocrisy, and with. so they have a completely wrong idea about who God is, what he's like, and they say, yeah, don't don't tell me about your God. I don't believe in him. And Keller would say, well, let me tell you about the God of the Bible, because I don't believe in the God you're talking about either. There's an entirely different uh, God. And so the same thing could be said of a king. Tell me about the king you don't want to serve. I probably don't want to serve that king either. Maybe we're not thinking about the same king. So let's make sure we're on the same page and look at King Jesus. So what's so great about Jesus? Uh, Long introduction. Sorry about that. Three things. Three things. Beholding his greatness and just three things from these passages. And not going to spend a whole lot of time in them. Number one, his great arrival. Number two, his great attributes. And number three, his great ambition. If you're following along, that is the outline. Number one, his great arrival. And this is probably a terrible way to start the outline because I told you already the word great, megas, it means big, huge, noteworthy, amazing, uh, sensational. And Jesus' arrival is not really like that, is it? (laughs) Which is what makes it so great. It's so different. Look at this passage. It says that this angel came, verse uh, verse. 26. I'm in the wrong chapter here. Hang on. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. So here's this powerful angel, Gabriel. God sent him to make this amazing declaration about God becoming a human being to save the world. This king who's coming. So where do you think this announcement is going to take place? Well, probably in the middle of Jerusalem at the palace, because that's where kings hang out, right? Jerusalem, the city of God, the holy city no, Nazareth. Nazareth. You know, in John chapter 1, Nathaniel hears that there's this Nazarene named Jesus who's the Messiah. And you remember what he says? He says, what? Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, I want to be nice about this, but Nazareth, what, Nazareth was, uh, it was like the armpit of Israel, okay? It wasn't in Judea, it was in Galilee. And Galilee was like the armpit county And Nazareth was like the armpit city. And not just because it was small. In fact, there was probably 2,000 people that lived there. It was because it was very sinful and a vile place. So you think, what in the world's going on? Why would an angel go there? Why would he pick out a poor peasant teenage virgin to be the mother of Jesus? Already from the get-go, this is just strange. The whole thing is strange, which makes it great. Because it's totally unlike the way the world would do things. I mean, seriously, if you were... This is heretical to consider if you were God. So let's just say it this way. If you were the campaign manager for Jesus and you had to build up and market his arrival, how would you do it? What would you say? Okay, look, here's how I want this to, like you're staging a Michael Jackson concert. You know, you're the choreographer. We got to do it this way and that way. Um, how are you going to come? Well, I would, I would say something like this. Here's what I want. I want you to have on golden plated armor um, and, a, and, a, and a diamond studded sword. Um, right? And I want you to, a million people blowing bugles to declare your arrival. And I want you to float down on a cloud, the Shekinah cloud of glory into the middle of Jerusalem and go straight to the temple, cut Herod's head off. I mean, none of that happened. None of that happened. He didn't come that way at all, which makes his arrival all the more noteworthy and strange. Even the greeting, look at the greeting that this angel gave to Mary. And I think this is so typical of human beings. God's about to do something amazing, and when we hear about it, we're afraid. It, it almost sounds too good to be true, because when this angel comes, check out what he says here. 
to a virgin betrothed to a man, I mean, that in and of itself, miraculous, a woman who has never known a man is going to become pregnant and give birth to a baby boy. And he's going to be holy. That's the miracle. Can anything clean come out of something unclean? Only one thing, Jesus. Because usually the seed came through the man. This seed is going to come through the Holy Spirit. He's going to overpower in a, in a, in a mystery I can't even articulate. He's going to overshadow, the Holy Spirit is, Mary. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow her. So what comes out of Mary is going to be holy. But check this greeting out. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. <laughs> but she was greatly troubled at the saying. She was greatly troubled. One translation says she was greatly perplexed. Why is that when somebody says, God has highly favored you? It's basically saying grace to you. He's not saying you are the source of grace, which is a, a lot of real, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that. Mary's full of grace, meaning she has grace and she's going to dispense it. That's not what this means. It means she is a recipient of God's grace. And she's so startled and perplexed by that because she thinks what all of us would. What the heck? Who am I? I'm just a poor, peasant, sinful farm girl in Nazareth. No, I can't. This is perplexed. I can't believe this. I mean, the virgin birth was enough. But for God to be highly, to show me, to show me. You know, Martin Luther once said, he once said something like this. It is hard, it's very hard for a man or woman to believe that God is gracious to him. The human heart cannot grasp this. Do you guys think that's still true? I'm reading the biography of Martin Luther right now. He started the Reformation. God used him. He preached grace, free grace. You're saved by grace and faith, not by works. And you would think that Luther had this whole grace thing, believing the gospel, that he would have it together, right? His biographer says 15 years after he nailed the 95 Thesis to the church at the at Wittenberg Church, that he was still at a, at a quiet dinner with friends. He said, I still find it hard to believe. I'm still afraid. Well, God, can he really be gracious to sinners like us? 15 years, the man that sparked the Reformation. It is very hard for people to believe that God is gracious to them. It just sounds too good to be true. That's the beauty of beholding Christ at Christmas because the angel says, it is true. God already knows none of you deserve this. He's sending this child in spite of who you are, not because of who you are, because of your great need. That's why it's so great. His arrival is so perplexing and it's so great on the one hand because it sounds too good to be true. But on the other hand, you can read another passage in Matthew chapter 2. And it actually says this here. I think I put it up here. Matthew chapter 2 says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, and by the way, you, you guys know the Christmas story. This king who stepped down, the song we were just singing, how many kings have, have stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least of these? This king was born and laid in a filthy feeding trough. That was his first pack and play, was a stinking feeding trough for oxen and sheep. I grew up on a farm. If you even could imagine how disgusting those things smell. <laughs> Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was what? 
troubled, terrasso in Greek, shaken, violently shaken. And all Jerusalem with him. Because listen, when the king's troubled, everyone else is troubled. Because when Herod got troubled, people died. And that's exactly what happened, you remember? Every baby, two years old and below, slaughtered so that he could find Jesus and exterminate him. Why? Because there's only room for one king around here. See, we, we have one of two reactions to a king. Either this, this news is too good to be true, a king filled with grace who's come to deliver us, or I don't want a king. No, thank you. This throne is occupied, right? No more room on this throne. I, it's hard enough to deal with my own heart. I don't know what another person outside of me, what kind of demands and restrictions they're going to place on my life. So Herod was troubled when he heard that. He was frustrated. He was angry because he heard, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You know, you, you're not voting for this king. I'm sorry. There's not a democratic process. It's not an election year. He's born king. He's legit. He's got credibility. He's got the bloodline from Abraham, from David, all the way it could be traced back because the temple wasn't destroyed yet. And they had the papers that Joseph and Mary were in the line of David. So this is troubling news. His arrival is great. Mary's troubled because it's too good to be true. Herod's troubled because it's a, it's a threat. She's greatly afraid. Listen to, uh, this is what John Piper said. I like this. Gabriel loves to highlight grace. Before he tells Mary of Christ's greatness and dignity and power, he tells her how he is going to use his greatness and dignity and power. What he means there is Gabriel tells Mary, hey, look, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. He will be great and he will be a king. So the name Jesus means Yeshua saves. Yahweh saves. So he says, he's going to, he tells her how he's going to use this greatness and dignity and power. He's going to use it as a savior. So don't be afraid, Mary. Your child will be your savior. He will be Jesus. That is what is so astonishing about this king is that he is going to be a savior. That's how he is going to use his greatness. And look, I really want to set this up to contrast all the sinful kings and rulers and leaders, all leaders included, right? Anybody who has ever been over you in leadership, whether it's an employer or a, a husband even, whoever it is, you can compare the authority and the leadership of Jesus against all those others, right? And it makes him stand out because the readers of these gospels would have been considering and comparing Jesus, the king, the son of God, with the only other comparison they had, which was who? Caesar. See, do you know Caesar had a coin made and it said, Caesar the Son of God, Savior. Did you know that? So think about it. During this time, there was, there was a, a census going on, a count. Remember, Mary and Joseph had to travel all the way to Bethlehem to give an account of their existence. Why? Because Caesar wanted to show the whole world how great he was. Look at all my people. Look at how many people I have here that I rule over. So consider already the contrast. Caesar was going to show the world how great he was by counting his people. God was going to show the world how great he was by becoming one of his people. Do you see the contrast? There's greatness in human terms and there's greatness in God's terms. So Jesus' arrival is amazing when you think about it. How low he stooped, how dramatically different his arrival is than, say, ours would have been. Honestly, mine would have been. <laughs> if I was king of kings and lord of lords, man, I sure feel like God. You ever feel like this? 
God sure does waste a lot of good power. You ever feel like that? Honestly, be, be honest. Man, if I was God, I'd sure set things straight around here. Yeah, I'm sure we've seen how people use their power when they try to set things straight, right? So that's point one. His arrival is great, his great arrival. Secondly, his great attributes, his great attributes. And you, you heard the passage being read, but, but check this out. It says in verse 32, he will be great. Gabriel tells Mary, he will be great. Man, there's just so much. Could there, could there be something more understated in all the Bible? He will be great. Like, got a great haircut, great Dane, great cup of coffee, and Jesus is great. Not like that, though. That's not, what she, that's not what he's talking about. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he has a throne he will reign, he will have a kingdom, and it will be forever. Man, what authority and what power, what attributes that this king is going to have. A throne is a symbol of supreme authority, which again would leave people unsettled. So this king's coming and he can do anything he wants, yes, and there's nothing we can do about it, no, not at all. Mutiny is... A waste of your time. Don't even bother. This king's coming and he's going to do whatever he pleases. So you better hope that whatever he pleases is in line with what you need. Because he can squash you like a bug. I've even heard people talk about, and there's a, a time and a place to do it, to talk about God's authority. He could. He could squash you like a bug. But is that what the angel Gabriel tells Mary that the whole world needs to hear? No, he's coming to redeem. He's coming to save his attributes. You know, if you've ever th thought of the descriptions of Jesus... Uh, how much of a paradox they are. Lion and lamb. The ruler who serves. Those are like uh, paradoxes, aren't they? That's like saying boneless ribs. It is. Or Microsoft works. Or jumbo shrimp. I could go on, should I? The ruler who serves. Have you ever seen a ruler who really serves the people? It's so rare throughout history. We're going through Mark's gospel, and the central point in Mark's gospel is chapter 10, verse 45. And it says, he will come and he will be a ransom. Excuse me, it says this. The Son of Man has come, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, how astonishing is that? We've heard that so many times. That needs to hit us. We need to, that's when you can put your pen down and just worship. A king who came, he could do whatever he wanted. That's right. He has all power. Yep. All authority, unrivaled. What did he do with it? He laid his life down for his people. What kind of people? His enemies. <sighs> Romans 5, right? While we were still weak, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Man, just let that settle in your hearts as you contemplate the meaning of Christmas, his great arrival and his great attributes. Did you hear the lyrics in that song, Joy to the World, that we sang earlier? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare, let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. 
Let every heart prepare him room. So, so often, we don't make any room in our hearts. It's so filled with other things. Listen, somebody or something has occupied the throne of your life. And if it's not Jesus, then it's an idol. It's something that, that gives you meaning and value and importance. It, it's you filling in the blank of this sentence. As long as I have blank, then my life has value and my life has meaning and I have my own identity. Whatever that thing is, that's your king. And if it's not Jesus, it needs to be. I lovingly say this to you as your pastor. We need to get that thing dethroned as quickly as we can. Because listen, I want to tell you something that you already know. You were made for a king. You were made for a king. All of you were, me, myself included. God hardwired us to need a king. We won't properly flourish or thrive until the right king is sitting on his throne over our lives. And that's why I love stories. I love books. I love novels. I love movies. And I love me a good story about a king that came to rescue and redeem his people. And I believe every legend and every novel, every story we ever read about, the reason those resonate with us, maybe they don't for all of you. Some of you are like, ah, take or leave the library. I don't want it. That's okay. For most of us, though, most human beings, <laughs> this idea of a king resonates with them. But it's been so twisted and perverted, the idea in our mind. Do you know why we have to read things like the legend of King Arthur? Do you know why? A king who ruled with justice and with wisdom and, and, and brought peace and actually cared about his subjects. Do you know why that's a legend? Because we've never really seen it, <laughs> ever. Like I said, anytime somebody gets power for themselves, they abuse it or they waste it. That's why I love, yeah, those are my three favorite legends right there, guys. Love them, all three of them. You guys know about these? King Arthur, the sword and the stone. Remember we sang this song, Is There Anybody Worthy? Where do you think all these legends, there will, a king will come who will finally be worthy to rule over, I don't know, whatever it was. What was the sword and the stone? What was the name of the place? Uh, whatever it was. I'm, my mind's, I'm, I'm feeling my age today. Camelot, thank you. Very good. See, I was just testing y'all. What was the sword's name? Excalibur. All right, good. You know your Bibles and you know your stories. So who, whenever the king came, if he was worthy, how would we know if this king was worthy to reign? He's the only one that could pull the sword out of the stone, right? And all these proud people tried and they couldn't. And this little, this little servant boy came and by accident pulled it. You remember that? Where the heck did they get all, where did that story come? That's just an echo of a greater story. It really is. And King Aragorn, oh, don't even get me started on Lord of the Rings. The king from the north shall come with healing in his hands, right? And his identity will surprise everybody and yeah, all that. And then King Richard, King, king Richard the Lionheart and Robin Hood, who, who is, is hiding his power and he finally reveals himself and shocks everybody. Where do you think all those things come from, man? We had this, this that resonates with us because God made us to have a king. And I know it hasn't worked out for us in America, right? We have a democracy and that's a good thing, but democracy is like medicine, it really is. We need food. And one day, the Bible says, the true king will return and he'll occupy his rightful place and he will reign and we will all flourish. And this king who's coming, who is holy, his holiness will spread everywhere. One day, the Bible says, even cooking utensils will be holy. Everything will be called holy unto the Lord. Everything will be set apart and belong exclusively to him. I'm so longing for that day. That's what Christmas is to me. I'm longing for the true king to return 
and finalize my holiness and make everything in this planet holy again and restore it. That's what his mission is. God made us for a king. That's the whole Bible storyline is about that. In the garden, God's people and God's place under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. And then sin and rebellion came and the whole thing was wrecked. And then we tried these tiny, puny, plastic, crumbling kings and, and they manipulated and controlled and abused and they had violence. You remember all the story of the judges? And... But the Bible says there was no king in those days and every man and woman did what was right in their own eyes. And we still do. Christ is a king. And we were made for a king. And I know sometimes we put impossible, we put impossible demands on our leaders. We want, Sarah and I were, Sarah and I were laughing last, last night. Do you remember the, Rick Astley? You remember that song? Never going to give you up. I'm not going to dance like him. But seriously, look, think about it. Check, check this song out. We want a king who will never give you up, let you down, run around and desert you, make you cry, say goodbye, tell a lie and hurt you. I mean, even that resonates with, who doesn't want that in a leader? Come on, me first. Who doesn't want that in a leader? But listen, can any, can any fallen, sinful, flawed, clay-footed leader ever produce that? No. I don't even know why the song went number one, because it's ridiculous, right? But Christ, Christ is a king who has the attributes that are unlike any other king. He's, he's the humble king. That, you know, that's one of the only adjectives Jesus ever used to describe himself. Did you know that? Come to me, for I am humble and lowly. Oh, my word. <laughs> for him to say that. <laughs> I mean, if we said it, it would be, almost be false humility. Oh, I'm so, oh, I'll just grovel in the dirt. Ah, oh, stop it. Jesus says, I'm lowly in heart. Man, take my burden. My burden is light. Have we ever had a king that put a light burden on his people ever? Man, what an exception it would be if we did in any country. No, every human leader is going to be tempted to either abuse their power or waste their power. I read the other day, poor management cost organizations $400 billion a year. <laughs> you know, they ought to do something about that. That's expensive. <laughs> $400 billion a year. Do you know how you can really test the true quality of a leader? Of really anybody. Give them power and give them freedom and see what they do with it. See who they serve with it. Some of you are employers and you've done that. That's a great test, isn't it? Give your employees just enough rope, right? <laughs> see what they do with their freedom. Do they use it to serve the greater good of the company? Or do they exploit it and manipulate and be deceitful? Jesus had ultimate power and ultimate strength. And what did he do with it? It's pretty amazing. Every miracle that Jesus ever did, ever did was to relieve suffering. Did you guys realize that? That's what's so amazing to me. How did Satan tempt Jesus in the wilderness? You're the son of God. You're hungry. Turn this rock into bread. You could. Could he have done that? So easy. So easy. Did he do it? No, he didn't. Why? That would have served him. He didn't come to serve himself. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple and show everybody who you are. And right before you hit bottom, you can like fly like Superman. Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. Did you know that there was, getting into some textual criticism here, did you guys know that there was another quote-unquote gospel, one of the lost gospels people tell us about? 
yeah, it's called the Gospel of Thomas. And we don't know why it wasn't put in the Bible, but you really want to know all the secret hidden years of Jesus, what he did, you can read that. I've read that. You know what it has in it? Jesus like turning clay pigeons into real birds and yelling and cursing at children and killing children. Did you know that? That is not the Jesus we read about in the New Testament because he never once used his power to serve anybody but others. He never used his power in a self-serving way ever. Every miracle that he did, sure, it proved his deity, it proved his identity, but it was to help people. Even stopping a storm and a hurricane dead in its tracks was so that his disciples wouldn't sink in that boat, right? Pretty amazing. How many leaders have you known that have used power? You know, Paul says in Colossians 2.9, he says this, For in him, that is in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead and bodily form. All the power of God. This blows your mind. All the power of God packed inside a human body. All the power of God. He spoke the universe into existence. He spoke it into existence. Do you know they're finding galaxies? They used to think that there were uh, thousands of galaxies. Now, do you know how many they're saying there are? Billions. Billions. And God created them through the agency of Jesus Christ. He spoke them into existence. He has that power at his fingertips. How will he use it to serve you and to serve me? That, that's a Christmas meditation right there that could carry us through the next week. But I'm not done yet. Wait, there's more. We got another point here coming up. Um, yeah, we better get to point three here. Uh, ambition. The first was his arrival is great and different than any other arrival of any other king who would march into their kingdom with all their soldiers. And secondly, his attributes are different than any other king. And third, his ambition. And I know ambition, I could make my point by doing an etymological lecture on ambition. When you hear the word ambition, do you think good or bad? Bad, right? Because we all have ambition and it's usually bad because ambition is like your drive, your goal. What do you want? Something self-centered usually. Jesus had an ambition too. He had all this power. He had this crazy different arrival. He was a king who was mighty. And check this out, the song, the song of Mary. We haven't looked at that yet. And I could read the whole thing, but I just want to focus on the very first part. The rest of this you can meditate on on, on this Lord's Day. How did Mary respond to all of this? Verse 46. She sang a song called the Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That could be worth a whole sermon right there. Whatever you think of Mary, Mary was a human being, and she was a sinner, and she needed saving just like you and I do. That's why God's grace coming to her was such a surprise. Because she knew she wasn't worthy, which is what grace means. Unmerited favor. But she said, she called God her Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. So what does all this might and all this power, what is Jesus going to do with this? What is his ambition? And again, guys, I just want to contrast this, not only with the arrival of the human kings and the attributes of the human kings, but their ambition. What is the ambition of most uh, human kings that you see? Destroy, you know. L let, me, let me ask it this way. I have four boys, 
And they love to flex their muscles and show their dad how powerful they are. And I've caught one of my kids whose name will go unmentioned. And he likes to break my pencils. <laughs> he loves to snap them in half. And I catch him all the time. I keep finding broken pencils in my drawer. I'm like, who's doing this? And he's looking at me and like tussling his white hair. Oops. <laughs> and I say, why are you doing this, son? He says, because I'm powerful. I'm strong. Because I can, right? Now, what's behind that? Because that's, that's like a huge... I didn't have to teach my son that, and I didn't show him that either. I don't break my pencils. What is that? Listen, guys, human beings prove how powerful and how mighty they are in one of the only ways we know how, by breaking things. I'm serious. We can break things because we can. It's easy. Breaking things is easy. Did you know that? Did you know how easy it is to break a relationship? You know how easy it is to break a little kid's heart? You know how easy it is to crush your wife, husband? That's easy to do. You know what's hard? You may tell you what's hard? Fix it. Restore it. Put it back together. How many of you have worked in construction? Demolition, baby. I love it. Give me a sledgehammer and get out of the way. Now the demo's done. Fix it. Remodel it. Oh, well, I couldn't possibly. Yeah, I know. Get out of the way. Let's go get a professional to do it. Because tearing things up is easy. Tearing things up is easy. I had a professor and he told me, he said, now, and forgive me for using all my seminary classes as illustrations, but I've never forgotten this. He was my Greek professor. And he would say, now, some of you guys are going to go out there and you're going to preach and you're going to use Greek and try to show off and you're going to say something like Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation. And you're going to say, now, that word power there is the Greek word dunamis from which we get our English word dynamite. And the gospel is like dynamite because it blows things up. And he says, if I ever, ever hear any of you using that analogy for that word power in the Bible, I will, so help me, I will roll my wheelchair down the aisle and I will crack your shins with my cane. He says, because the gospel is not like dynamite. It doesn't blow things up. It puts them back together. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Christ, and that's the unique power that this king has. You want to really flex your muscles, then you put things together that are broken, and usually we can't. I tried. I said, Marshall, <laughs> I said, Marshall, why don't you put those pencils back together and get some scotch tape, and no, it doesn't work. It's done. You broke it. It's beyond repair, kind of like us, right? What can we do to fix ourselves? Oh, we'd make a mess of it. Try all the, we, we try what Adam and Eve tried. I'm naked now. I'm ashamed. I've broken my relationship with God. I'll just go get these fig leaves. I'll go hide. No, you need, you need God to come and, and seek you out like God did. Where are you, Adam? Why are you hiding? Come into the open. Let me atone for your sins. That's what Jesus came to do. The only thing Jesus came to destroy, the Bible says in 1 John, is the works of the devil. Guys, that's good news. That's, that's a good Christmas meditation right there. Jesus could have came and listen. That's what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to come and destroy Rome, <laughs> right? Those are the enemies. Let's get those dirty Romans. And Jesus came and he surprised everybody. He didn't destroy Rome. He didn't destroy the sinners. <clears throat> you know who got destroyed when Christ came? He did. He did. <sighs> That's Christianity in a nutshell. <laughs> Christ came and laid down his life for his enemies. Give me a king like that. I'll follow that king. Anybody want to serve that king? 
who had this power and could do anything he wanted. And what he wanted to do was give up his power so that you and I could live free and be changed into his image. Man, I'll follow that king anywhere. And that's what he has beckoned us to do. That's the other part of the Christmas message. We behold him and we follow him, right? You're coming to a king who if you take his crown off, you'll see scars under it. If he holds his hands out, you'll see holes in his hands. That's a king who understands what I'm going through. Isn't that what you're looking for all your life? <laughs> so if, I only had a, if I only had a leader, somebody who had authority, but who understands what it's like to be me. Oh, Christ understands. You're like, no, 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 but man, the temptations, they're so strong. Oh, really? You know how strong the temptation is? Yeah, it's so strong I gave in to it. Well, now, wait a minute. Then you don't know how strong it is. Have you guys ever thought about this? If you give in to a temptation and you succumb to it, you don't even know how strong it was because you gave up. Jesus knows how strong temptation is because he withstood the temptation. You get it? It's like a fisherman, 50-pound test line, right? Well, that's probably a bad analogy. Anyway, Jesus understands. He was a human. We do not have a high priest who does not sympathize with our weaknesses. He has tasted our suffering. He's been there. That's what Mary says. She says, he has done great things for me. This king uses, his ambition is to serve us. And he did that by laying down his life, ultimately. And so a lot of people, it, this is too good to be true. They would think, who am I? <laughs> this king came to save me, to deliver me, to rescue me, to buy me out of the slave market of sin. He, he laid down his life on my behalf. He traded places with me. And now he asked me to receive him. And I'm a preacher. I would just ask you, who am I to receive him? Who am I to receive him? Well, listen, as we close here, I just want to humbly ask you to, to, to phrase that question another way, okay? Who are you to reject him? Who are you to reject a king like that? Have you prepared room in your heart for this king? Because he came from such a great distance. His arrival is great. His attributes are great. His ambition is great. It's all for you to serve you and to serve me. I want to serve a king like that. I want to follow a king like that. Do you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for just this short meditation on beholding greatness. We behold your greatness and we are astonished, Lord. We are astonished. We have power. What little puny power we have, we, we use it to break things and to do vandalism and graffiti and deface things, deface ourselves, twist and corrupt the image of God we were created in. Lord, you have power, ultimate power. And you came, that's what you did. Every miracle you performed you undid what the curse did. You touched lepers and you cleansed them. You restored their bodies. You raised people from the dead. You rebuked fever. Everywhere you went, you were showing humanity what the kingdom of heaven is like, that you are making all things new. And everywhere you went, Lord, you gave us a little tiny, powerful glimpse of what your kingdom is like. And Lord, I want to be part of that kingdom. So many people I know under the sound of my voice, Lord, they're either in that kingdom and they're not enjoying it fully, or they want to be in that kingdom. They want to be part of it, Lord, and they feel so unworthy. God, 
blow and destroy that, blow up that lie today. That's how you use your, <laughs> that's the only thing you destroy with your, the power of the gospel. It's false views of who you are. Destroy that image today, Lord. May you remove the lie that Satan has, has wielded for so many centuries. May we believe truly that the gospel is good news for sinful and flawed people like us. You still want us, Lord, after all of our sinfulness. You still want us. That's what Christmas is about. We behold the glory and the grace of God. If anybody is here, Lord, and is believing that lie, I pray, I pray you would shatter it today, Lord. May they know you came for them. May they confess their sins in this very moment in their seat. Confess that they are a sinner, absolutely helpless, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. And they want to receive your forgiveness and be a part of your kingdom and belong to you. And they can. May that miracle take place even this morning right here. And I pray all these things in Christ's name.